Hello and welcome to the Innovating Enrollment Success Podcast. Innovating Enrollment Success. Yes, it does sound ambitious and it sure is. This podcast turns the mic on for those making that happen in higher ed today. I'm Kathy Donovan, Agency Marketing Director at Pascal, a higher education enrollment marketing firm that innovates in big and small ways every day for our college and university partners. Today, I'm joined by two leaders in website and digital content creation in the higher ed space. We're going to unpack in about a half hour some best practices, making sure the needs and concerns of today's prospective students and families are heard and factored into how we build better sites. VP of Interactive, Ryan Pudlowski and his team have built dozens of higher ed websites for institutions representing the public, private, faith-based and community college sectors, providing all kinds of enrollment solutions for all kinds of budgets. Senior Digital Art Director Zach McGrordy is a former creative director at top-tier institution Temple University, and he brings that elevated design energy to Pascal Partners. Welcome, Brian and Zach. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks. Let's get started. So research continues to show that institutional websites are the number one way prospective students learn more about their college or university. While it might seem that that's been the case for the past 10 years, we know college websites have changed since then, especially after COVID. Ryan, can you tell me how you've seen college websites change since COVID? Yeah. And the most obvious one might be colleges taking new looks at their virtual tours, dusting them off and, you know, seeing if they're up to snuff. And that that's not only on the content. You know, another thing that I think we saw a lot of when this was focused on is, you know, are they accessible? Accessibility is a huge thing, um, as it should be. And I would say virtual tours themselves as as a part of the website are some of the least accessible in, in many cases. So I think that's something that we really saw. And we saw, to your point, Kathy, saying that, you know, this is the gateway to the university. They brought other elements of you know, the recruitment process onto the website because they had to. So looking at information about accepted student days, looking at information about open houses, microsites that might be used in lieu of in-person definitely came about in COVID. And I think they're here to stay because what we noticed is, hey, yes, we're servicing folks that can't get here because of COVID. But what about people even post-pandemic that are just geographically not able to make it to campus, how can we still be provide them with a great product for either accepted student day or open house or whatever it might be? So those are some of the real uh, low-hanging fruit, I think, in terms of how COVID shaped the landscape and what my team's working on. Fantastic. Zach, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I actually couldn't agree more with Ryan, especially on particular on virtual campus tours. You know, when I was inside the other side of higher education, we, I mean, we always knew that enrollment was highly indicative based on, you know, if a student had arrived on campus at some point. That really set everything apart. Uh, so not only, you know, from what we learned from COVID, but being able to expand that geographic reach through the virtual experience is also highly motivational. I would also say, you know, since COVID, I've seen a lot more promotion around online and asynchronous learning methods. I think that's just a trend that's going to continue through higher education. And I'm curious to see you know, how modalities of teaching get shifted uh, in that lens. You got to have your damn COVID banner up top of your website. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget about that. That's, they're still hanging around. So yeah, thankfully I'm not in the days of, uh, you know, managing that microsite and updating the numbers and making them go up every day. So, you know, hopefully we're on the downtrend. (laughs) Yeah. 
while we seem to be, you know, recovering from COVID, I think there's clearly some work to do when it comes to other factors in terms of, you know, mental health for one. Um, we know teenagers today face really high rates of mental health concerns and, you know, screen time can factor into that overwhelm, especially when we're talking about cognitive load, which is basically how much information our brains can healthily handle and websites and their design can certainly influence that. Zach, is there, is there anything to website design now that kind of takes that into consideration maybe more than we did a few years ago? Absolutely. Um, one of the trends that we've actually been talking about uh, amongst the teams I'm working on now, particularly in higher education spaces, is that dynamic program and degree search tool being really upfront and center on, you know, homepages. You know, it's almost it's almost replacing the hero in some instances. I think being able to have a student just enter this kind of new UX term of prompting uh, that I can just go in and type, I'm interested in this kind of degree field, and you're immediately getting the results you want instead of having to dig around an academics page or search is it a department or a program. I think that. That's kind of a future of web trend and information gathering in general. And that kind of proliferates through the rest of higher education website design. You know, I'm seeing reduced amounts of navigational items. I'm seeing non-primary navigation CTAs be put behind kind of mega menu, mobile button menus and collapsing all that. And additionally, one thing we've been exploring more recently with a couple of our clients is those dedicated landing or information gathering pages for a particular audience. So whether that's parents and families, current students, faculty and staff, so that there's kind of resource dumps uh, for particular audiences so that that cognitive load can be reduced. So it's not a, this website's for everyone, go find what you need. It's okay. If you're this audience segment, let's, let's point you to the relevant information that we think is, is going to be important for you. I would just say hallelujah on that. Um, <laughs> I, I think Zach's right on. And to give you the other side of it, I started my life as a flash developer. If anyone remembers that technology and oh, yeah. <laughs> there was this whole trend, it almost seemed like uh, in the flash days, we were doing things to make navigating the site sort of a puzzle. Like you would have to turn a dial left and then answer a question and then, you know, put the circle in the square before the navigation <laughs> would reveal itself to you. It was like, I don't know what it was terrible. So yes, I agree that this idea of more defined user pathways is great for everything. Not only cognitive load, but accessibility and just helping the student or the parent find does this institution have what I need? And if not, they're going to move on. So it's up to you as the, the institution putting your website out there to make sure they can find those answers. To Zach's point, you know, putting a program finder on a homepage makes a ton of sense. Like, yes, we can, we can have a nice little video of campus, but if you don't have the program that I'm interested in, I, I'm on to the next thing because there's so many choices. So really good for everything in, in terms of just you know, more concise navigation, cleaner looks. It helps everyone who's visiting the site find what they need and know if they're in the right place quickly. So obviously there's some elements of a, a good higher ed website that will stay in place. What are some best practices that users can expect to find on a site? Ryan, do you want to take that one? Yeah, I've only said it twice so far, so I'll give it a third bump, but that's the accessibility piece. I mean, that can't be overlooked, not only from a... Um, legality standpoint, but it, A, it's the right thing to do, and B, 
Um, it's great for search engine optimization. And if you're following accessibility guidelines, the overall user experience, whether you have a disability or not, a site that is accessible and follows the rules of accessibility is just easier to navigate. One of those things that you don't always think about because it's not a binary check the box is, you know, something like a expected navigation. As you move across the pages, the navigation stays consistent in an expected location. It behaves in a way that you expect from a different site. Think about um, these students and parents that are coming to your site. They've been on 10 other sites, maybe in the last half hour. They want to find out your academic program. You better have a navigation item that says academics. Don't get cute and put it behind some other name. Just tell it what it is because, you know, back to the cognitive load, don't make them work hard for finding the information they're looking for. So I think that's something that will not change and something that we should really push on. And that even goes to, you know, Zach with the program finder talking about that. There's an art to that too, because lots of schools will want to put everything in a taxonomy that starts with the school of study. But we all know that, you know, a kid coming to the website as a high school student does not know specific, not in all cases, but it was true in my case. I didn't know what the School of Arts and Letters meant. So how do I find my program without hiding it behind institutional speak, I think is is an important thing to remember. Good points. Zach, you want to add to that? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, on accessibility one, and particularly on the second point, I think that has always been a challenge in higher education. At least the 10 plus years I spent there was getting an institution to not think of its web presence in the way that it looks at itself internally as an organization. And I think that just adds to increasing enrollment and being aware of what the student or prospective student uh, perspective is. You know, I don't know that necessarily that's the department or the name of the college or does it matter to me? I think that stuff is all important. I think other, you know, to, to get back to your original question of strategies or best practices, you know, I don't think mobile first development's going away. I think response is so prolific now that we're never going to see that change. And I think having a good partnership with uh, you know, an analytics partner or team and working through those kind of measurements is going to be super important and never change. Very good. Measurement is actually my next question because clearly data-driven strategies are paramount and um, it's the world we live in and we get a lot of good information from it. But how do we also make sure that we're providing meaningful experience where there's that balance of art and science? Is, you know, is that factored into a good website? Exactly. Mind starting us off on that? I have a lot of thoughts on this topic, I think, broadly, because I, measuring data and analytics and measuring user expectations is obviously important. It's going to inform design decisions, it's going to inform content, and it's going to inform you know, the, the general structure of your web experience. However, we see this in a lot of industries, not just higher ed, but there is kind of a unification of all these websites start to look and sound the same. So uh, I think being able to rely on your creative folks and your development teams to come up with innovative solutions that aren't you know, going to be an unexpected result to Ryan's earlier point. Uh, you know, you're not having the navigation be in an unexpected place just for the sake of it, uh, but being mindful of being able to push some of those limits a little bit uh, and being aware of what metrics are you tracking? You know, if it's time on page, I remember once having a conversation with a fellow academic that they wanted to know why their page was so low. And really, it was just an informational page that we wanted a prospective student to come get the information that they needed and not stick around. Uh, they, they didn't need to be on the page for minutes and they would look at a news story and try to compare the two. I think educating about that kind of stuff is going to be important uh, to our partners. I, I refer to them as vanity metrics, but, um, you know, those those metrics that look good in a, a roll up report and it's easy to say, yep, last month to this month, we have, you know, people being on the page. 
four seconds more this month than last month. Does it, I don't know that it really tells you anything. You got to, you got to dig a little deeper and, you know, really look at some of the, you know, key performance indicators that are going to move the needle for, for you. Obviously the apply button being the holy grail of um, conversions, maybe the deposit button, but either way, um, you know, there's, there's certain things that are important and, if you're looking at a meaningful web experience, sometimes you have to be a little more thoughtful with the metrics that you're capturing and what they mean. You know, if we're talking about, you know, you could have a page that is long scrolly page by design. So you might want to be measuring, you know, how far down the page someone scrolls versus time on page. There's different ways. And I think now that we're in the final countdown to GA4, it's a good time for schools to take a look at. It's a good idea for schools to look at their analytics setup and really find out, are they measuring the right things? And if they're not measuring the right things during your switch to GA4, that's a, that's a time to clean things up and take a fresh look at what measurement means to you. So building on this conversation in terms of good practice versus maybe taking some risks to differentiate in a very crowded marketplace. Ryan, how do you encourage your uh, partners take risks for their sites to do a little bit more? Maybe getting out of their own internal lens toward a way that their users might be surprised in a good way when they come to their site. You know, to Zach's point, we want to be mindful of helping people find information in expected locations, but not look like a cookie cutter. So that's difficult. That's finding the right balance, but encouraging partners to take those risks. I think obviously first you want, you need to earn their trust to say, Hey, we're not just coming in and doing things for the sake of things. We have a very purposeful reason for doing this. Let's try. Um, And there's also the idea that start them off slow and get them comfortable with being a little different in some scenarios. You know, you can't jump right into the deep end of of being risk takers. There's a journey that they have to go on with you. So the other thing is to always be looking at competitor sites and seeing what they're doing. You know, there are certain institutions that have the luxury of pushing the bar because maybe they're a larger institution that is, for whatever reason, under less pressure at the certain time that we're working in to increase their enrollment or whatever the metric might be. But, you know, I think it's important to look at what they're doing and then emulate the best of, but still be ahead of the curve before, to Zach's point, that it becomes too commonplace. Zach, how about you? Have you had success in helping a partner take a creative risk on a project? We were at a cup rep recently and John Stephen Sansel brought up a great point about focusing uh, this from a content perspective, but focusing on those people on campus that really tell the story. And that doesn't always mean some famous alumni or the star student with a Rhodes scholarship. I think focusing on people like and when I was at Temple University, we had someone nicknamed Sweetie Lady that every time you walked in a particular building, she was the security guard that said, hey, sweetie. And she became this campus icon with a mythos on Reddit, you know, and putting content out there that tells your story in a different way. It's not that kind of manufactured way that I think a lot of times we editorialize our institutions and universities. Um, and it, it brings a little bit more humanity and realness and authenticity. And I mean that in a non-capital B branding way, a, a truly authentic kind of storytelling experience or, you know, me- piece of media content that actually differentiates your campus from the next liberal arts college on a hill. Makes sense. So how about new trends coming, Zach? Any takes on that for .edu's? What, what's ahead for folks? From a design perspective, anyway, in a lot of the research I've done recently, I've seen two very divergent paths, and I'm curious which one is going to win out at the end. We have gone through, in web design in every industry, 
a huge era of minimalism and kind of this this pairing back. I'm seeing this be happen even more. I think of sites like uh, McGill University has this very minimized, just it is simple text and prompts. And I think it actually works beautifully for them. On the other side, I think, you know, when we talk about this kind of differentiating factor, I see a lot of schools, I think Cal Poly Humboldt put out a new brand recently that was quite interesting. Uh, I saw WWU's design school website. Um, and these are much more kind of like maximalized, very trended design styles that, you know, we, we see higher educations go through brand rotations quite frequently more than in any other industry I feel I've worked in. And so some of them are willing to take a little bit more risk and get a little bit more flowery and, and flashy. So I, I'm curious to see which way it goes. Brian, what do you think? You ready for it? I'm going to, everyone's been waiting. AI, how does that play in? I'm not sure yet, but I think Zach was talking earlier about putting things on the home screen that you can just type in and with a simple prompt, AI is going to make chatbots so much more useful is the hope, right? So I think search engines are leading the way with these new AI integrations on Google and Bing. There's a lot to learn before it's ready for prime time. And I'm happy to let them figure out the, uh, the pitfalls, but I could see that there's a large language model that's been geared towards your institution. And, you know, the AI is trained with your data set about your institution combined with a public data set to get more generalized understanding of what the question is. You know, that can be a really powerful tool, help people find the information they're looking for quickly rather than one or two clicks or looking or trying to get the right navigation. If you have one text box where they can just put their answer in and get the right result. That's huge. So I think that's something that we definitely need to be looking out for. Again, I think let's let um, the big boys, Google and Bing and OpenAI, figure out the uh, the nuances and then you know piggyback off of their successes. We use that. New trends happening for .edu's. I would definitely disagree with that. Uh, I think that's that's definitely the way. Uh, hopefully, we don't just have uh, we still have websites and we all are working in a few <laughs> years, and we're not just all looking at a prompt that goes from uh, skeuomorphism to minimalism to back to something else. Uh, no, I think I think AI is seriously a, a pathway forward that is going to be unavoidable. I'm, I'll be interested to see how that impacts higher education and how data sets are kind of integrated in that way that's way way above my pay grade in brain cell so <laughs> uh, we'll all be learning it soon enough so uh, i know you yep. <laughs> might as well i think the other thing that we touched on before but you know th this move to uh to ga4 and in, in terms of new trends for sites yes it's um it's a way that you can reset your metrics and change the way you're thinking about your website but i another thing to mention from a very i guess rather technical side is you know, GA4, using that as your data collection of your analytics, there are some products that are gaining a lot of traction that are basically replacements for GA4 that actually let you warehouse all the data yourself. So that might be of interest to, in certain situations, one product is called Matomo, which is basically looks a lot like what we all know Google Analytics to look like today before the move to GA4. A lot of the same type of KPIs and, and measurement naming conventions. So it's an easy way to move from what we call universal analytics over to this product of Matomo. If you're feeling heartburn from GA4, that's definitely something a higher ed website could look into as either an alternative or something to run uh, in parallel with uh, Google Analytics 4. Sounds like innovating, which is my last question. You know, everyone who's working in higher ed right now needs to innovate. It's a time of transformation. 
And that can be really hard and just very daunting. But, you know, for those listening, you know, what's some advice for them to keep on that path toward innovation, you know, when it comes to their higher ed website, you know, even if it's in small ways, what are some everyday tips to folks out there on the path? Ryan. I think it's nice to innovate in a safe space. And what that looks like in the land of higher ed websites is a lot of times a microsite. So we have clients that come to us and let's talk about redoing the entire website so we can increase enrollment this fall. Well, the website's going to take a little bit longer than that. So let's look at how we can move the needle now. And a lot of times that comes down to a microsite that's very focused on a particular task, like in increasing applications, for example. So not only is a microsite faster to market, but it's a great place to try out new things without redoing your entire website over a 12-month period and then finding out that it's not really as great as it looked on paper. So these microsites are safe spaces to innovate. And like I said, they take a lot less effort to materialize and, you know, bring to market. And it's a great way to even do some uh, user testing with anything from, from different UX to different messaging, you know, the, the sky's the limit on what, what can be tested, but that's where I think innovation can happen immediately and be impactful is, is some of these microsites before we look at the whole, what do we call it? The whole enchilada? Sure. That. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree anymore. Uh, this is just to give a, a segue for that. When I was at Temple University, we had created a microsite uh, for enrollment while waiting for a web rollout that we knew was going to take 12 plus months. And what we ended up with was one of our best performing enrollments pages. Uh, it just was kind of a, a non-tourist guide to Philadelphia that gave students that were accepted an idea of, you know, what was around campus that was fun that you wouldn't find in your general tourism guides or, you know, your, your Michelin star restaurants, uh, where were the students at? Uh, and we saw amazing results of that. So couldn't agree more than that. One other thing I would just like, cause I'm always preaching this and I want to see more universities, uh, innovate in this way is, uh, pricing transparency. I think, uh, we all do our research and find that cost is the most important determining factor for a student going into education. And I see a lot of universities are still very shy to put their prices up on the website. I think we need to start doing that. And I think it would be a shame for any university, whether or not you think you're price high or low, it's important. And, you know, let's, let's get to the solving of the problems. Absolutely. And it's also about, you know, building rapport with your, your users. If that's their concern and that's the answer they're going to find elsewhere, you setting the tone and having those conversations can build a trust. That's very important. Wanted to thank you both for joining me today. Lots of great insights. Hope to see more of what you innovate soon. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. We covered a lot of ground in building better websites for higher ed, an effort that is never done and always evolving. If you'd like to learn more about Zach or Ryan, find them on social or check out our show notes. Or if you'd like, reach out to us at Pascal. We can connect you with our talented team to start innovating your website and your enrollment success.